Welcome to the Achieve Today podcast series. Today's cast features coach Gil McKith talking about how to clear limiting beliefs. Hello, everybody. This is Gil McKith, your host for today's podcast. We're going to be talking about what are limiting beliefs and how to clear them. There's a lot of people coming to Achieve Today saying, I want to clear my limiting beliefs. And there's a lot of kind of mystique around what is a limiting belief and how to clear them. A lot of people think that it's hard to do. And I've been working with people for, oh gosh, since the beginning of Achieve Today, thousands of people all over the world. And I'm here to tell you that finding and clearing limiting beliefs is really easy to do. So if that's news to you, you'll want to pay attention here because we're going to demystify what is a limiting belief and how to clear a limiting belief. So without further ado, let's just jump on in. Um, a limiting belief defined is simply anything that you believe, whether it's in your conscious mind or your subconscious mind, whether it's true or not true, but anything that you believe that limits you in any way whatsoever. So to say, oh, it's not going to work out for me. You know, that's going to be really hard for me. That's going to take forever. I mean, these are things that might be true. But you don't know the future. And if you believe them to be true, you're projecting that onto your future. And you're most likely going to bear that out and create that. So again, a limiting belief is anything that you believe, conscious or subconscious, true or not true, that limits you in any way. So that being said, we've probably got millions of limiting beliefs. Now, a lot of people that I work with, they're after finding this mysterious limiting belief that, you know, populated in childhood and it's hidden and it's, I don't even know what it is because I keep getting so close and then I sabotage myself to my success, to my ideal weight, to my ideal health, to my ideal relationship, whatever it might be. I keep getting so close, but then it just doesn't show up. So limiting beliefs are sometimes right in front of our face, but they're so common we don't consider them a limiting belief. So we look past those and we are searching for something mysterious and hidden deep in the recesses of the subconscious mind. Well, there's about 100 billion neurons in the brain, but this is a sophisticated network and all of these connections are based on data that we've experienced in our lives. You know, what color was your shirt when you were seven years old on Friday the 17th of April? Right. I mean, that's data that's logged in your mind. All data that you've ever experienced in your life has been archived into your mind, into your brain. You save that data based on pleasure or pain. So if there's a lot of pleasure associated with the experience, or there's a lot of pain associated with the experience, we're going to save that because we need that for later. Right. How do I get more pleasure and how do I avoid more pain? We save that. But now if it's random data, again, like the color of your shirt when you were seven years old, that's it doesn't have much pleasure or pain. So it's just random data it doesn't get really strongly reinforced at all. So you might need a great hypnotist like Adam Mortimer to guide you through how to find that data. But you're probably never going to need to because it's not necessary. What you're going to be looking for is what is it that I'm wired to do or not do that's holding me back from getting what I really want. So the way you can find a limiting belief is anytime you've got habitual resistance, you're habitually frustrated, you're habitually stressed, what's a part of your character that you define in yourself or other people would define in you where there's habitual resistance? 
Any justification that you have for your habitual resistance is your limiting belief. It's really that simple. So I should be this way because he said, she said, they did, it's like this, whatever. Any justification you have for your habitual negative emotion, your habitual resistance, all negative emotions that are habitual are resistance-based. And it's a position against. I have this point of view that says that's not right. I have this point of view that says that shouldn't be. I should. I shouldn't. Typically, you're going to find in your limiting beliefs, shoulds and shouldn'ts. And this is like the epidemic of humanity, resisting what is. If it is, resisting isn't going to change it. So if I don't happen to like the view that I've got in front of me, complaining about it isn't going to change the view. Telling everybody why I don't like it and how much of an eyesore it is is not going to change my view. If I want to have a different view, I simply make the choice and take the action to have a different view. I might turn around and look a different direction. So resistance is what's perpetuating the limiting belief. And this is where a lot of people have been led astray. They find a program or a tool or a technique. Maybe it's Ho'oponopono. Maybe it's EFT. Maybe it's NLP. Whatever the case may be, they find a technique and their mindset is, I want to use this technique to get rid of my limiting belief. If I'm wanting to get rid of, I'm resisting. And what is it that I'm resisting? Resistance. You've all heard two wrongs don't make a right, I'm sure. Resisting resistance doesn't create clearing. At best case scenario, when you resist resistance with a wonderful technique like Ho'oponopono or EFT or whatever it might be, your best case scenario is going to be temporary results. So most people are coming into a program like this and paying a premium. They want to pay to get the results. They don't care what the price is. As long as they get the results, they're willing to do what it takes to get the results. And the results people want, the results you want, are permanent. You're not here for temporary results. Chances are good that you've been there and done that already. You've read the books. You've been to the seminars. You've met the authors. Right? You had lunch with them. You talked with them. You know these people. But permanent results? How do you get permanent results? And if you're going to clear a limiting belief, that limiting belief, in order to get permanent results, there's two things that are necessary. One, you have to first, well, you don't have to, but it's a really good idea to release the emotion that's associated with a limiting belief, right? You don't have to turn off the power in your house if you want to rewire the electricity, But it's a really good idea that you do it. You don't want to get shocked. So with a limiting belief, depending on how traumatic the original experience is that seeded that limiting belief, it's a good idea to turn off the emotion associated with a limiting belief. And if you've been with us for any lengthy amount of time, you've probably heard the five steps to clearing a limiting belief, which really should be the five steps to clearing the emotion associated with limiting belief. But it's essentially name it, rate it, use a metaphor re-rate it, and repeat. And I believe that formula was put together by our own Adam Mortimer. Uh, But it's a logical formula. What is the limiting belief? I don't deserve it. Rate it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is that limiting belief? Oh, it's got to be an 8. Where do you feel it in the body? When I think that I don't deserve it, I feel it in my gut. And 
I know it doesn't have a color, but if that feeling and that belief had a color, what color would it be? Oh, like a murky gray. All right, an eight murky gray in the gut. So there's our rating it. We've named it, we've rated it, and now when we use a metaphor, we're going to be reprogramming or releasing the emotion that's associated with it. Now, in your life, have you ever seen a horse that was painted like a candy cane? Most people say no. But if you've just heard me ask that question, you have now. You've seen it in your mind. Don't think of a pink elephant. Everybody's heard this. You think of a pink elephant. So it doesn't matter what I say. Sidewalk. There it is in your mind. Red car. There it is in your mind. When we use a metaphor, we're speaking in the language of the subconscious. You dream in metaphor. So to speak the language of the subconscious, we're just trying to get into the nature of, to the specific environment of this limiting belief, and we're working on the emotion that's associated with it. So when we use this metaphor, the more sensory detail we use in the metaphor, the less likely it is that we're going to need to repeat the process. So remember, the five steps are name it, rate it, use a metaphor, re-rate it, and repeat. So in this case, I don't deserve it. At a level eight, it's strong. I really have this strong conviction. I don't deserve it. right? And it's the emotion that we're working on with this practice, with this formula. So when I use the metaphor, let's say I'm going to float this feeling away in this helium balloon. Right? You've all held on to a helium balloon. It's got the string hanging down, and if it's got a lot of helium in it, it really wants to take off. It's pulling on your hand, and it's, it might be, even be cutting into your fingers. It's got so much strength, wants to pull away. So that helium balloon, it's got a silver shimmer to it. It's got some blue stripes down the side. You're looking at it, and you're holding on to this. And if you look down at your feet wiggling in the sand, the sand's kind of curling up between your toes. It's kind of gritty, and you can smell the salty air. You might even be able to taste it if you've been in the water yet. But the more sensory detail we use here the more likely it is we're not going to have to repeat because all of this is reinforcing and making this a real experience for me. So when I use this metaphor, what do I want to do with that helium balloon that represents my limiting belief of I don't deserve it? I really want to just let it go. And I'm holding it tight, but I really want to let it go. And I'm starting to shake. It hurts my arm. It's, I've been holding it for so long, my whole life, and I really want to let it go. Well, go ahead and just let it go. And it starts floating away. Look at how fast it's going up into the sky. It's taken off like lightning. going. And, and as you notice, the further away it gets, the smaller it gets. But keep watching it. Try to keep your eyes on it. It's starting to go through the clouds up there. It's getting smaller and smaller. And then again, look back down at your feet in the sand for a second. Wiggle your toes in the sand. Feel that temperature. It's kind of hot sand. Notice how that feels. But now look back up. Can you find it? Is it still up there? Oh, there it is. Tiny little dot way up there in the sky, getting further and further away. And oh, watch out. There's some people coming down the path. Step out of their way. Let's let them go off to the side. Now look back up. Can't even find it. So this is a real quick example of a metaphor. You know, it's just a story that we're giving to the subconscious that's going to represent releasing the emotion associated with a limiting belief. So now that I've gone through the metaphor, I want to re-rate it. It was an eight. Now where is it? Hmm. It's probably, I don't know. 
Now, if I've used a lot of sensory detail in this metaphor, it's really common to say it's gone. I don't feel it at all. So if it hasn't completely gone down to a zero on a scale of zero to 10, if it hasn't gotten down to a zero, then step five is use another metaphor, repeat the process. So when we do this, as a coach working with people one-on-one, I have never ever once used this where we did not get down to a zero in less than 10 minutes. Let me say that another way. Every single time I've used this process with a client one-on-one, every single time we've gotten down to a zero in less than 10 minutes. Never once has it not worked. Now, once the emotion's gone, this is where the amateur coach tends to say, great, we've just cleared your belief. And if you don't have a lot of expertise yourself, you're going to say, wonderful, I've just cleared my limiting belief because you don't feel it anymore. The symptom is gone. But what happens when you get exposed to more data that's similar to the original data that seeded that belief? Let's say there was abuse, verbal abuse. When you were a child, you got yelled at, you got um, put down a lot, and now you've cleared your limiting belief, emotion, and then you're watching a, a, a movie, and in this movie, there's this belittling of a, of, a, of a child from their parent. And that reminds you, oh, yeah, that's what happened to me. And it starts to build up that emotion again. So, again, I use these techniques. I release the emotion. I feel better. I think I've cleared my limiting belief, but it comes back again. How many of you have experienced that? You clear your limiting beliefs or you use a tool that works. Maybe it was acupuncture. Maybe it was Reiki. Maybe it was hypnosis. Maybe it was Ho'oponopono, whatever. So you use these wonderful techniques, it works, but then it comes back again. That's why so many people are still looking for the next big thing, because they're not getting permanent results. If you want permanent results, you have to move the neural pathways in the brain. So the neural pathways in the brain are the biological archives of the past. The biological archives of the past Right, So I built a connection from one thing to another. When I was standing on the sand, I remember the sand was really hot. So each little piece of data, I see it. There's the visual data. I feel it in my feet. And there was pain, so there's a whole lot of tactile data. Each piece of data is a connection that's being built in the neural pathways. Now remember, 100 billion neurons in your brain each one connected to up to 100,000 other neurons in the brain. That is a lot of data. 100 billion times 100 million. That's about how much data you've been exposed to through your eyes, ears, nose, mouth, and tactile touch, as well as thinking and emotional feeling. So with all that data, what did it feel like? What did it look like? What did it sound like? All of that is archived and there's, consider it a railroad track, right? Consider this whole big giant network of railroad tracks. These are the neural pathways. So that experience that I had as a child, it was repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again for at least, gosh, at, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 years. And it was always belittling. I was always getting yelled at. I was always getting in trouble. And it wasn't my fault. Well, because it happened over and over and over again, each time it happened, it was a reinforcement of those neural pathways. And so now what we want to do to get permanent results on clearing is we have to rewire the neural pathway. We're not going to go and erase the neural pathways. 
And that's uh, contradictory to what some people say. Yeah, we're just going to go in there and erase it. We're not going to do that. I mean, how are you going to erase your biology? Can you erase your kneecaps? Can you erase your fingernails? Sure, you could cut them off. They're going to grow back again. You're not just going to erase these things. What you have to do is recontextualize them. And to recontextualize them, you have to see them from a different point of view. When you see them from a different point of view, this is how you change your mind. Right? Anybody that's ever changed their mind, they've done it because they've considered a different point of view. They've accessed new data. Give you a quick example on that. I had a client, she was 60-some years old, and her challenge was, Gil, I never want to start anything because I know it's never going to be good enough. And so I just, anytime I try to start something, I, I back out, I never finish it. I'm kind of trepidatious about getting involved in the first place because I know I'm not going to finish it. But, you know, that's my challenge, and I'll tell you what, I know why. Because when I was a kid, my dad never gave me encouragement and praise. His answer was always, you could do better than that. So I said, well, that makes sense. Gosh, if I was in your shoes, I'd probably have the exact same experience. But let, let's forget about dad for a second. And let's just take that phrase, doing better. So I asked her, if you were doing better in life, what would that look like? And she said, well, well I'd be more successful. I'd be making more money. Wonderful. I said, if you were more successful making more money, what would that do for you? How would your life be different? She gave a big sigh. Oh, well, I, I'd probably be uh, a lot happier. Life would be a lot easier. And I double checked her. Do you really believe that if you were more successful making more money that you'd be happier, life would be easier? And she thought about it a second and said, yeah, I really do believe that. I said, okay. So is it possible I don't want you to tell me, is this how it is or not? But is it possible that that's what your dad was trying to say to you? Sweetheart, I love you so much. I just want you to be happy. I, I want your life to be easier. I want you to be more successful, making more money. But based on the way he was raised, the best he knew how to say that was, you can do better than that. Now, she started laughing and crying at the same time. She had this big emotional release right there because she knew that was probably true. Now, she'd spent her whole life feeling like dad was mean, she was a victim, but she never really was able to tap into why he was like this. And what was he really trying to say? You know, parents that oftentimes give advice to their children are really just wanting to be, you know, a good parent. Now, their children are grown, they're adults, and they're wanting to give great advice to their kids, and their kids are saying, look, I've got the PhD, who are you to give me advice? The parents are just trying to say, sweetheart, I love you, I just want to be there for you, I want to support you, and they're doing it the best they know how. And so many kids reject and resist this. So many adult kids reject and re resist this. So what we want to do is recontextualize it. What are they really trying to say? We can do that as, adu as adults. But when it comes time to clearing a limiting belief, we use the technique to release the emotion so it's a safe place to play, right? We've done that. It works. Now we want to go in and recontextualize the actual scenario, the data. So what data do I have to support this belief? Well, dad said this, they said that, mom did this, I, that's how it was for me. We take things one at a time. When we find the data... We have to find the value in the data. What's the benefit of this? Remember this loud and clear. You do not learn in your success. You learn 
in the challenges you face on the way to your success. So the challenges teach you. And these difficulties that we have from the past, these emotional wounds that we have from the past, the minimizing that we received as children, or it might not have even been as children, it might have been in our first marriage, or it might have been with that jerk of a boss, whoever it was, those experiences that were emotional, we never learned how to deal with it or process that or find the value in it. We just took this position of, I don't like, I don't want. And in psychology, resistance is known as negative attachment. So I'm still resisting the past, negatively attached to it, and wondering why it keeps showing up in my present and is probably going to come up in my future. I learned about clearing limiting beliefs. I tried techniques. They didn't work. They worked for a minute, but then they didn't work. Now I'm here learning about the way to get permanent results. I have to rewire the neural pathways. I have to find the value. Now, I will not see the value in a story that built a limiting belief if I'm preoccupied resisting it. So if I'm in a state of resistance, I won't see see the value. Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Gil, what was the benefit of that verbal abuse that you received when you were five years old? If I'm still stuck in resistance, I'm going to say, are you nuts? There's no benefit there. But if I can get to this neutral state, which I get access to when I use the technique to release the emotion, in this neutral state, what's the benefit? What's the value? Now, we're presupposing there is a value, and that's what I want you to do. All of you listening, I want you to presuppose there is a value. Let's find that value. What's the benefit of the abuse? Well, I grew a thicker skin, right? Because when I was in fifth grade and sixth grade and seventh grade, some of the kids got really mean, and honestly, I was one of them, too. Kids are mean to each other. It's funny to kids to be mean to each other. It's not healthy, but that's just the way a lot of kids are in school. They, they have fun, teasing. Well, if that's the case, I grew a thicker skin, you know, because I had fun, but I've taken worse than that. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? So I grew a thicker skin. But maybe also the benefit was I developed more empathy for the kids that obviously had it worse than I did. And having this greater sense of empathy... Um, I found myself wanting to help other people more. I became more service-oriented. Ask Oprah Winfrey, what was the benefit of the abuse you went through as a child? And she's going to have a long list already prepared for you. She'll tell you all kinds of benefits. How did it serve her? What was the benefit? Well, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure Oprah Winfrey has donated over a billion dollars to charitable organizations that are supporting ending abuse and sabotage and suffering in the world. So a billion dollars, not to mention all the philanthropic efforts that she supports verbally with a guest that that she brings on her show. But what's the benefit of the limitation? What's the benefit of the pain? What's the benefit? When we clearly see the value and the benefit of the story that created a limiting belief, we now have two paths to take. We've got one railroad track that's rickety broken down, and if we ride the train on that track, we could die. I mean, we we want to stay away from that, and that's why it's hidden and recessed into the subconscious. We don't want to go there. But now we've built this other railroad track that's smooth sailing. There's actually a value in this. There's benefit in here. In fact, if I'm a public speaker, I'm going to tell you all about that problem that I had when I was a kid. 
because I've resolved it. I've found the value in it. Now I'm actually using it as a theme and a principle in my presentation today because I've learned from it. I'm not hiding from it. It's not sabotaging anymore. It's an asset. Previously, it was a liability. Now it's an asset. So as I find the true and genuine value in the story that I previously resisted, I have no need to get rid of it anymore. And that's how we clear a limiting belief. So the more you come back to these programs, the more you're going to hear that reinforces all of this. But to find a limiting belief, follow the emotion that's habitual. How do you justify it? Use the five-step process to clear the emotions that's associated with it. And the question you can use to rewire the neural pathway, what's right about this that I'm not getting? Because I've been too busy focusing on what's wrong with it. That's a clearing question that comes from the organization Access Consciousness. But it's a fantastic question. What's right about this that I'm not getting? Because I've been too busy focusing on what's wrong with it. That will facilitate the rewiring of the neural pathway. Once you have that, you can take the old rickety track or you can take the smooth sailing track. It's a choice. Which one do you choose to identify with? The more you identify with a track of your choice, the more you reinforce that and that becomes your reality. That's a part of your identity and that's just how it is for you. When it's just how it is for you, you've got it right on the inside now and the outside will take care of itself and your behavior. That's what I've got to share with you today. Hopefully we can come back again real soon with uh, another great tidbit that'll help you out. But I'm Gil McKiff, your host with Achieve Today. I look forward to talking with you next time.